All right. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Again, the um, the brave crew that that has brave getting up early on a on a day when all of our all of our time and our life is kind of shifted around. Um, seriously, I really do not know whose idea this was, but you know, it's at least you made it. So there's that. Um, well, like Brian said, my name's Sean. Uh, I'm on staff with the church. Um, Really excited to uh, close up the, the this Jonah series that we've been doing together over the last few weeks. Um, I got to be honest with you; it's been a pretty crazy um, couple of weeks and months at the Salada household. Uh, we just bought a house, um, so that's really crazy. And um, you guys may have have seen um, something else that's Facebook official now. We just sort of announced that we are um, expecting a kid. So, <laughs> thanks. We're we're really excited about it. It's um, it, it's been a lot of fun. Even just, even just what we've had so far. You know, kind of um, thinking about the future, sort of uh, adjusting our expectations to uh, every everything that that uh, will be like and could be like. And so, you know, we're uh, we're really excited about that. And so, I guess I've got um, parenthood on the brain because um, as I was preparing this message and kind of thinking. Um, I, I thought of this story of uh, my own upbringing that kind of ties in with what we're going to talk about. And so um, I remember uh, growing up, the, my, my friends and I were usually in like the same classes in school. Um, you know, it, it was a really great experience. Like um, we, we kind of, you know, grew up together and, and we're always sort of in each successive class in the same class until seventh grade. Um, seventh grade rolls around, and we start getting our class schedules, you know, that, that say what um, all, we're, all the places we're going to be and stuff like that, and we find out we are not in the same classes. Now, you know, all, all of us here are kind of like, you know, adults, and it's like, all right, this is not the end of the world, but like, to me, this is, this is the end of everything as we know it. This is heartbreaking. You know, I've been with these guys from the beginning. This is what, this is what makes school tolerable, you know. Um, on top of that, we were all kind of like in the advanced class together, and so it sort of felt like, you know, we were, we were the cool kids on campus and stuff like that. And I and a couple of my friends actually specifically got moved out of that class and into another one, and it was set up in such a way that we were basically not going to see each other at all, all year. So I'm, like, devastated. You know, my dad is kind of like, well, you know, it's not the end of the world. Like, they're not dead. Like, you know, well, why, don't, why don't you invite them over and hang out with them just to sort of demonstrate that, like, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. And I remember, like, I invited all my friends over, and I started, like, weeping they were there watching me, and I was just like bawling because it's like, oh, it's never going to be the same. But there was hope because one day I walked into school, and there was this lady pitching a fit. This is one of the students' moms um, who had the same thing happen to her as happened to me, and she had decided that it was unacceptable for her daughter to be in this other class, and she was going to be, you know, back in the first one right away, don't you know? And so, you know, this, this was the whole, the whole deal. It was like during school hours, she was, you know, screaming and all this stuff. And I don't know, like there were probably actual adult details behind this of maybe like other reasons of why this was supposed to happen. But to me, what I saw is somebody came in through a tantrum, got their way, and like, I've seen my dad talk to the cable company. Like, I know, you know, it, 
I know that I can make this happen. So I go home and I'm like, hey, dad, will you talk to the principal and get me in my class with my friends, please? And he's like, okay, you know, I'll talk to the principal. And so he does and nothing comes of it. And um, I, I remember him saying, it's like, and it, was, it seemed to be evident that it wasn't, it wasn't just like they told him no, but it was like a decision that, that he kind of made. And, and what he said to me is, man, you, you've got to be ready to deal with change. Like, life is full of change, and you have to be ready to deal with it when it comes. And obviously, this sounded terrible, was terrible. You know, my dad didn't have my priorities in mind when, um, when, he, was, when he was making this decision. But of course, now, you know, I, I grow up and, and I look back and I realize, like, that was really formative. It's actually really funny. I, I told my dad, I was like, hey, I'm going to say some nice stuff about you. Do you remember that time when you did this? He's like, yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> but it, it was so formative to me to have to deal with you know, meeting new people, uh, dealing with change. Um, and, and I think it's, it's really, it really kind of illustrates our relationship with God a little bit. You know, we have those moments with God um, where he needs us to do something. Um, he needs us to grow in a way that we don't want to grow. He needs us to, to grow in a way um, that we just don't want to deal with. Um, and so he parents us. You know, this is the relationship that we have with God. Now, I understand that, you know, a lot of us, we live in a fallen world. We, we might have complicated relationships with our parents, but um, we can trust that God is a perfect parent. And just kind of like this little example of my dad parenting me, you know, we can look at God and he parents us. And it's actually what we're going to talk more about in detail today. It's our, our big idea is that God parents us when our priorities don't match his, specifically when, um, when we have those times where God says, hey, you need to do this. And we're like, yeah, I would rather not. Um, God patiently and firmly and consistently parents us um, until our priorities match his. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that this morning. Um, we're going to jump into Jonah chapter 4. That's where we're, um, where we're going to be talking. Um, but just a, a little recap first. We've heard from Brian and Matt how God called Jonah to reach a sinful people that he hated. You know, the joke has kind of been like everybody's really quick to rip on Jonah, right? Um, but he's actually a little more complicated than that. And uh, it's really not going to get any better here. Like chapter four of all the chapters is the one where it's like, oh, yeah, finally we can rip on Jonah. But like it's actually a little more complicated than that. But, you know, we see Jonah. Um, God calls him to reach a people that he hates. Um, you know, this is the, the people of Nineveh, a people who are violent, a people who worship idols, who have been oppressing the people of Israel. God says, go um, send my message to them. And he's like, I'm going to get on the boat and go the opposite way. So he does. Um, and God goes with him. He's patiently there with him. God um, uses that rebellion to actually save the sailors that are on the boat. Um, God sends a storm. The sailors are like, what's going on? They figure out Jonah is the reason for the storm. Jonah is actually kind of sacrificial and says, hey, throw me overboard. I know that the storm will stop. Um, they do. They throw him overboard. Um, he actually repents. God sends a, a fish to, to save him. It seems kind of weird, but, you know, he gets the fish instead of drowning. God saves him with this fish. And he says, you know, okay, clearly I've messed up. You know, even when I was in my rebellion, God, you're, you're merciful. You saved me. The fish peeks him up on the beach, and God sends the message again. Go to Nineveh. All right, I'll go to Nineveh. So he goes. He preaches the message. He says, hey, man, God's going to destroy you if you don't change your ways. Um, and miraculously, the people repent. 
Like, the, the Bible is, like, hilarious about this. It says everybody from the king to the sheep repented. It was, it was the best possible situation, scenario, turnout you could possibly imagine. Um, and that is where we're going to pick up in Jonah chapter 4. So this is, this is what the Bible says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So, the first thing that we're confronted with right off the bat is that Jonah isn't pleased with what's happened in Nineveh. Um, this is even more obvious when you read it in context. I'm going to start at the end of chapter 3, and I'm just going to read the first verse of chapter 4 again. So end of chapter 3 says this, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And this is actually, it's kind of confusing. You know, this is not the story arc we're used to seeing. I feel like as a culture, nowadays we are more familiar with stories and the structure of stories than ever before. You know, we read uh, books like Lord of the Rings. We, we binge series on Netflix. Uh, we watch every Marvel movie so that we can keep the, the huge web storyline straight. You know, we know what stories are supposed to look like and sound like. Jonah if you've ever seen one, was supposed to be a redemption arc, right? Jonah gets the mission from God. He runs from the mission. Uh, Jonah has this sort of moment of crisis, and he, he realizes the error of his ways. He rededicates himself to the mission. He goes back. He does the mission. The mission is a success. What's supposed to happen is Jonah is supposed to ride off into the sunset a changed man, and that is not what happens we expect Jonah to be totally lined up with God now, but just as soon as he is obedient, he turns right back around and demonstrates his characteristic, you know, sort of lack of, of mercy. And it's a weird structure for a story, but it's actually good news for us today. I, I think the author is trying to um, teach us something. The weird story arc shows that God's people are works in progress. Matt talked about God giving us a second chance last week, which is great news. But any of us who have 
had a second chance know that it's not so easy to sort of avoid the, the attitudes or the circumstances that caused us to blow it in the first place. Um, it's why the church is full of imperfect people. You know, hopefully as you've been around here, you've seen people um, who have realized that they need Jesus. You know, we need Jesus to cover our rebellion toward God. Um, we need Jesus to actually empower us to live the lives that we're supposed to lead. But you also quickly see that it's still a challenge to live those lives. It's still a challenge to actually employ that power, to live in the truth that we've been changed. Um, it's hard to sacrifice our desires. It's hard to put God's priorities over our own. It's hard to put other people's interests and well-being in front of ours. Um, it's hard to, to take it on the chin and not lash out when we're hurt. Um, it's hard to forgive. And sometimes we fail. We know that our story, like Jonah's story, is not about us you know, being bad, then meeting God, and everything being perfect. Um, now, make no mistake, Jesus does radically change us. You know, if you think that, that you're a Christian, um, but your life hasn't changed like at all from before you were a Christian, um, you should take a look at that. I'd recommend you read the, the book of James and, and, and look at what it says about how uh, meeting Jesus actually changes us. But even if you've made a commitment to turn away from your own selfish desires and toward God's way, there are still bumps you know, we, we still sin, but look at Jonah. God still uses Jonah. God is still with Jonah. He's patiently with him the whole way, even knowing that Jonah literally is not done being rebellious. Like God used Jonah to reach Nineveh, knowing that Jonah was gonna turn right back around and complain. And we're gonna, we're gonna see that God still blesses and, and parents Jonah, even though he hasn't fully internalized the lesson God's trying to teach him. And we can take comfort that, that that same thing is true of us. We don't have to have this perfect redemption arc. You know, we can trust that, that God is gonna deal with us you know, as he uses us and as we walk with him and when we kind of stray to the right or stray to the left, like God is gonna be patiently with us, teaching us, reminding us of the truth and, and trying to get us to look more like his son. The grace that he had to save us is gonna be sufficient to stick with us and grow us to be more like him. So having said that, let's dig a little bit into Jonah's complaint itself. So Jonah says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, "'Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? "'This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, "'for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, "'slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love "'and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. What we're looking at, remember I, I said that we're, we're still in the conflicted camp about whether Jonah is a punching bag or like a good dude. What we're looking at is Jonah going to God in the midst of his sin, which is actually like really admirable. Now, first, Jonah makes his own judgment on God's ways, which is like kind of a famous last word situation. Like it's probably not gonna end favorably for you if you do that. Um, like we mentioned, God has decided that Nineveh's repentance is sufficient. Jonah has decided that it is not. But the Bible in Isaiah says that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Specifically, his thoughts and ways are much higher than our ways. God knows better than we do. But the admirable thing is Jonah actually takes this complaint to God. And he affirms God's character, even as he disagrees with God's decision. 
you know, is this something that we do? You know, when we have an, an attitude that we know is counter to who God is, um, or when we do something that we know isn't godly, how often do we go to him about it? When God does something that we don't like, you know, allowing an unfavorable circumstance, how often do we go to him in prayer and ask him about it? I, I feel like it's so easy just to sort of be frustrated about it. It's so easy to just sort of complain about it. Maybe we complain to other people. Maybe we just sort of mutter, mutter under our breath let it fester. Um, you know, maybe it's a little better than that. We, we acknowledge that what we've done um, isn't good. We should probably agree with God. But do we actually go to him and say, hey, God, I know, I know what you say, but I don't like it, <laughs> and wait for him to deal with us? Do we actually approach him in relationship? Say what you want about Jonah. He jumps in with God immediately to see what's going on. Even though Jonah is apparently so distraught that he could die, like he's not in the right, um, he sticks it out with God and he takes the complaint to him. That's admirable. That's growth. We should do that same thing. We should stick with God and with others in the same way when things get tough. And it actually gets results because when Jonah does this, God responds to Jonah. Now, that's a little bit of a problem for him because... Um, you know, we can, we can take our complaints to God. We can go to God with our sin, but we shouldn't be surprised if God calls us on our stuff, right? Because God responds, but his response is, do you do well to be angry? It's a hypothetical question, or it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, you don't. Um, are you right to be mad about this? Because God doesn't just want Jonah to be like happy and unchallenged, a view that we can, we can sometimes have about God, if we're honest. Um, he wants Jonah to be righteous. He wants Jonah to think and to do the right things. And we actually see something pretty similar in the book of Job. Like this whole pattern is pretty similar to um, what happens in Job. The book of Job describes Job as this righteous man. And God allows Job to experience some pretty intense suffering. Um, the book then shows Job wrestling really honestly with his suffering. Sometimes he says some really good things, and sometimes he says some things that are kind of like, you know, is that right? I don't know about that. Um, and he makes his case before God at one point. He says, I haven't done anything to deserve this, which is kind of true. Um, and there's this part in the book of Job that says this. It says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Uh-oh. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless person would dare come before him. Listen carefully to what I say. Let my words ring in your ears. Now that I have prepared my case, I know I will be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. Without being quite so bold, Job basically says, if God would come down here and hear my case, you know, I could prove to him that I'm innocent. If he would just give me a hearing, I would, I would prove to him beyond a shadow of a doubt. And he does a lot of questioning of God like this. And eventually, God does come down. And God, you know, finds him innocent ultimately. And, and he, he respects Jonah, or Job's like honest wrestling. But God challenges Job's arrogance. And this is what he says. Like, so there's, they talk for like 38 chapters. It's a very long book. And then the Lord speaks to Job. It says, the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? God says, have a seat. 
I will be asking the questions here. And this is a, this is a good model for us. I, you know, from the beginning, rather than waiting until we've sat in some sin, until it's, um, you know, really just destroyed us and kind of run amok in, in our lives, we can go to God with it immediately. Just like Jonah says, like Jonah, Jonah's got it right. He says, God's gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love, he relents in disaster. Like God wants to forgive us. But that forgiveness is gonna involve God challenging the ways that we think and act that don't line up with his ways. If God is real, like if what we're doing here is real and he's actually the creator of the universe and he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing, doesn't it seem likely that he would have some things to say that are challenging for us, that, that we don't like but are actually better for us? We should take our ways to God but not be surprised if he challenges our thinking. So we see that, that we're working some progress, that God invites us and challenges us in the midst of our, our sin and our stuff. And so kind of jumping back to Jonah, uh, he seems to accept God's answer, you know, his question, I guess, um, for now. And he pops a squat to the east of the city, likely on some higher ground. And the Bible doesn't actually tell us why. We're quick to jump to the conclusion that he's like being really vindictive. Um, you know, maybe he legitimately thinks that their repentance isn't sincere. Um, we know from the book of Nahum that Nineveh ends up relapsing. They end up getting judged. You can read that in the Bible. Um, but maybe he is just vindictive and he hopes that God's been holding out on him, you know, and God's like, you know, surprise, I am going to destroy Nineveh. So like, you know, I don't know what he's thinking, but he's sitting there, he's watching to see what's going to happen. Um, and he feels wronged that God has chosen forgiveness instead of sort of justice according to Jonah, you know, which is probably a, a, an emotion in a, a position that we can, we can relate with a little bit, right? But then there's this funny little like almost, it's, it's real weird, this thing that happens next. God appoints a plant for Jonah's comfort, which Jonah is pretty stoked about. Um, but then the other shoe drops, right? And God appoints a worm to destroy the plant and heat to cause discomfort for Jonah. And what we're actually gonna see from this is that God appoints our eternal good. And there's a lot of repetition here that helps us kind of understand what's going on. So earlier, Jonah was exceedingly angry about God's big grace for others. Now Jonah is exceedingly glad about God's comparatively tiny grace for himself. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But the other word that gets repeated a bunch is this word appointed. God actually appoints four things throughout the whole book of Jonah. Um, he appoints the, the fish, the plant, the worm, and the wind. So the fish is a mercy from God, right? We talked about that before. That saves Jonah from, from drowning. Um, the plant is also a mercy, keeping Jonah actually comfortable as he's you know, in this like, questionable place, watching what's going to happen to Nineveh. Um, the, the worm seems bad because it takes away Jonah's plant, right? Um, the wind seems bad because it takes away Jonah's comfort. It seems like there's this symmetry of blessings and curses, right, that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But we know from reading the chapter that God is using all these things to set up this teachable moment for Jonah. We know that, that God is positioning things just so, so he can, he can drop the mic here in a minute. Um, so like, like my little story about having to stay, you know, in the new class instead of getting what I wanted, um, God is 
is messing with our, our perspectives, right? Um, he's, he's wanting to teach us something about our priorities because when we, when we look at these, these little inconveniences, because that is what they are, Jonah is just fine. When we look at these inconveniences from our earthly immediate perspective, they seem like curses making our lives worse. Um, when we look at them from an eternal perspective, God making us look more like Jesus, they're actually the means by which our lives are improved. The book of James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, for they produce perseverance. If we're honest, a lot of the inconveniences we face are really opportunities for our character to grow. So, as we know, Jonah doesn't like the outcome of losing the plant, and that sets us up for God's big teachable moment for Jonah and for us, kind of the, the big the big message. So when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Have you ever been like that before? Have you ever like doubled down? You like know something's wrong and you're just like, I know it's wrong and I don't care. It's just funny to me. I don't know. <laughs> so he says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came to being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So Jonah's focus, right, is on the, on the plant, like in a big way. He's so angry about it that he could die. You know, and again, like I mentioned before, that same word exceedingly is used two times. Jonah was exceedingly angry about God's big grace for other people. But now he's exceedingly glad about this tiny grace for himself. You know, this is a totally self-centered kind of perspective. But God points out that the bigger focus is the people of Nineveh. There is a difference between the plant and the people of Nineveh. Jonah felt like this plant was like his plant. You know, this is my plant, and you took it away from me. But what's true is that he had no investment in it. He did nothing to bring it forth. As far as he knew, there was going to be no plant. And it's ultimately insignificant. Literally, yesterday it was not here, and today it is dead. The people, on the other hand, God is extremely invested in. He's He's made them. He sustains them every moment. He loves them. They're made in his image to be in relationship with him eternally. Between the plant and the people, there is no contest. And yet Jonah is so totally focused on this temporary plant. It, it kind of brings to mind this, this weird quirk that, um, that I have in my own life. Um, I mentioned before that my wife and I had a big Sims phase um, where we, we played a lot of the Sims. Well, if you've played The Sims before, yeah, if you've played The Sims before, uh, you know that the first thing that you do, right, is you make your friends uh, and your boyfriend or your girlfriend and your crushes and like, you know, all these people that you know. Um, that is, you do that, that's one way, or you just make a bunch of randos and you set to work sort of like ruining their life. But if you're sort of a morally upright person, um, you, uh, you make, uh, you make your, your friends and family. So, so that's, what, that's what we started by doing. Each of us made you know, um, ourselves, and we had a happy little uh, Sim family. Uh, we got them looking pretty close to us. Uh, we picked some personality traits that we thought were good. Um, 
And so then my wife is playing one day, and she's like, come over here and look what your sim is doing. Okay, and so here he is, and he's staring at the wall. He's just looking, just looking at the wall. And, and it says, like, what, what it is that they're doing. And literally the description for what he's doing is contemplate surroundings. He's contemplating his surroundings. Like, how bizarre is this? And the reason that it's so funny, the reason that she called me over to look at him stare at a wall is because this is something that I actually do. See? Um, see? You've got you've to meet a wall, right? Whenever I meet a wall for the first time, you know, I've got to take a look and, and make sure, see if there are any imperfections, right? So you take a look and kind of give it, give it one of these and, and see if, if it brushes away. Like, okay, that's great. But if it doesn't, that's a bad wall you got there. That's a, that's a subpar wall. It's a shame, really. But, and you know, like, it's, if, you got, if you're a little, if you got some OCD tendencies, you kind of sort of know how this goes. Like, now you can't unsee it. Literally no one else in the world knows that that infinitesimal speck is there. No one has a clue. But every time you walk through that hallway, you see it. You zero in on it. And you're like, ah. But if, if we're honest, like, it, it, no one else knows it's there. It has zero impact on my day-to-day, if I'm being honest with myself. I might spend hours, right, you know, like, sanding out this spot and filling it in and sanding it some more. You know, I just bought a house, so, like, this is my life right now. You know, repainting it and being like, uh, you know, that looks bad. Got to do it again. But it, it does not matter. In fact, one of the first things I did in this house was destroy a bunch of walls. Could you imagine having spent hours and hours and hours on this tiny little spot just for somebody in, in the future, years down the line, to literally destroy all of your work? Like, it, it does not matter. So it's probably some bad priorities that I've got, right? And we've all got issues like this, things that we prioritize that just don't have eternal significance. And so God poses the question, shouldn't I have concern for Nineveh, for the thousands of people that don't know their right hand from their left? And the question is for us. Notice that we don't get Jonah's response. And this is a tight story, so I don't think that we're like going to discover a second Jonah or anything like that. I think this is on purpose. God's posing the question to us. We get to answer the question. You know, you care for these things, which today are alive and tomorrow are in the trash heap. And shouldn't I care about Nineveh? Shouldn't I care about the people who don't know me, the people who are made for a relationship with me and don't have it? You know, and, and he mentions, these are people who don't know their right hand from their left. They're spiritually lost people. And when people were made to be spiritually connected to God, man, that is heartbreaking. The people are engaging in sin, and that breaks God's heart, not just because sin is rebellion against him and it's an offense to his character, but also because it's destructive to us. God is concerned for the injustices against himself, but he, he also wants us to be restored to a healthy relationship with him. And he proved that concern to us. He came to earth. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't. He avoided, he avoided the sin that got us the death sentence to begin with, and he gave himself up as a sacrifice so that we could be restored to relationship with God. And that's why, you know, we've been praying every day at 108. I hope that you guys have your, your phones set and have been praying with us. Um, that's why we've been praying at 108. 
There are people in our world that don't have this forgiveness and restoration that they desperately need and that would totally change their life for the better. God's concerned for them. And so like we want to be concerned with them too. We want to follow our Lord. And so set, like, set your alarm. If you, if you haven't been praying, we, we want to be praying that, um, that we could be the witnesses of Christ, that we could be his witnesses to Judea, to Samaria, um, to Jerusalem, to the ends of the earth, that we, could, that we could be his witnesses here, out there, and everywhere. And so there's the question, what are our priorities? Are we hung up on the plants, the blemishes in the walls, you know, these little inconveniences? Or are we elevating our concerns to be with God's? He invites us to elevate our concerns, that people who desperately need him would confess their sin and their need, that they'd receive Jesus' forgiveness and they'd return to God. So I would just challenge you guys to, to think about that question. Let's pray together.